hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Hope you've had a fantastic week and thanks for joining me again. So have you been in a career for a long time and you feel like, well, this is what I am, this is who I am, but there's certain aspects of that career that you think, wow, I wish people just knew a little bit more about that or, you know, you want to add a little bit more excitement to that career. My next guest um, has been a GP and MD for a long, long time, but on the side he's also been doing other stuff to sort of enhance the flavour of, of what he does because he's so passionate about it and finally quit. I'm going to read that out to you in a minute. But think about that. Is is the job that you're doing, are there aspects of it or is there a part of it that you could bring to life in other areas that would really ignite your passion? So today's guest is S. Todd Stolp, MD. He's a physician and a father of three who ran a full spectrum rural family practice in Northern California for 20 years. He then served as the public health officer in California for 12 years. During his public health career, Dr. Stolp worked on statewide and national public health committees, did overseas work on Ebola, stateside work on Zika, and he's now working on COVID-19. He's also provided research and consultations on issues from Native American tobacco use to suicide. During his years of medical practice, he co-authored and illustrated four children's books addressing a range of topics from the medical examination to vaccinations and habitual behaviour. He's often spoken at conferences on topics related to health literacy with an emphasis on good science made more palatable with a generous dose of humour. He now operates STS Studios in Sonora, California, producing media messages about the adventures of his career and lessons learned while raising three children, all with the aim of advancing health literacy. Welcome, Todd. Thank you, Karen. It's good to be here. Oh, well, I'm glad you're here too. You're in sunny California. Is it sunny at the moment or is it... It's nighttime, isn't it? As a matter of... There is a little bit of a sunset out outside and i'm pleased to say the smoke has cleared everyone is probably familiar with the fires we've had and uh, today we have wonderfully clear air yeah i've been um, familiar with the fires because the california fires are always um a big deal like where we live in in victoria here we always have fires too you know similar to yours and it's um it's a very it's a high stress moment or you know time of the year when the fires are going but that, that... That's right. I've heard actually that uh, that we've exchanged firefighters. Some come here from Australia and some come from California to Australia, I've heard. Mm, I, I believe that happens. For the big ones. Yeah, that happens quite yeah. a bit, yeah. And bring great big um, water bombers and all that sort of stuff. And That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, lucky we're allies, eh? Hey? We actually have a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, well, again, it's uh, we're all in the same sphere. It's a matter of taking care of each other, isn't it? 
You know, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's I was going to say it's amazing you say that. It's not amazing at all. It's it's good to hear you say that. It's I think that this is we have all these um imaginary boundaries, you know, that we call countries, and it's uh, it just creates so much um so much. You know, I don't know. Why do we have to be like that? You know, why can't we all just see that we're humans and you know, and we all should just be helping each other and building one lovely planet. I don't understand why we're not. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I have friends that are Native Americans and they tell me stories of the Native Americans uh, hundreds of years ago getting chased by cavalry and the cavalry suddenly stops after chasing them for days at a time, stops in the middle of the desert and that, oh, they got away, as if there's an imaginary line there. And the, the Native Americans thought, these, these white folks are crazy. What are they doing? Chasing us for two days and then pretending there's a boundary. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Oh. Yes, it is. And, and the way, you know, don't, don't even get me started on white supremacy and what we've done to the ah. oh, boy, boy, don't start that. Because, boy, you know, we, we did the same here, you know, uh, the British you know, invaded Australia and, you know, and did the same to the Aborigines. And it's just, it's beyond, it's beyond belief, you know, that, that um, particular uh, races can do that to other, I, I just can't even understand how we, and even the same with animals, I can't understand why we can't look in the eyes of an animal and see, you know, see a living soul and a living being and, and oh. <laughs> why do we harm each other? Yes. Yeah. I so agree with you. I, I have a hunch if we can hold on long enough and use our brains uh, to overcome these instincts that I see as baggage from uh, millions of years ago, the, the territorial and sexual and uh, aggressive drives that we have, if we can overcome that recognizing and communicating with each other, I have a hunch that we will make it through this, but uh, we're going to have to um, do some gene <laughs> editing through uh, time. <laughs> to get rid of some of those instincts I'm afraid yeah I'll, well I don't think you or I will live to see that day but you know I, I hope some <laughs> I hope some generations do <laughs> I, exactly all the more reason to work towards it though I, I'm a firm believer that we have to believe it can happen or we won't head towards it yeah I agree I, I live by the principle that you know I want to plant the tree of the shade I'll never sit under so if more people did Excellent. that you know we would um we might get there quicker. We'd have a lot more shade. Yeah, we would. Yes, <laughs> We'd right. have a lot more shade. <laughs> oh, Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, well, I wanted to get um, get started because you've got you've got a fascinating um, background. Some you know you you might think boring. You know, I've just been an MD and now I'm just you know just writing books and stuff. But it, it's fascinating. You know that um, a lot of people do, as I mentioned earlier. You know, people will stick with a career forever and not sort of um, believe that there are arms and legs, you know, that come out of that career. You've done a, you've proven that wrong totally. But oh, before we start, I introduce you as S. Todd Stolp and, you know, actually you're Todd, Todd, but what what's the S, how do we get the S in there? Is it sir? Yeah, that's it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. Uh, I don't imagine Nighting is ever in the future for me. Um, no, I, uh, my mother uh, was an artist, and she, uh, I think, my the explanation she gave me was symmetry. She liked the initials STS, yeah. um, but she wanted my name to be Todd, and they had a, my parents had a good friend named Stuart, and so it's Stuart Todd Stolp, but I go by Todd. 
Well, that explains it. Well, now we can all put that to rest. (laughs) (laughs) It is something. Well, as I I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I can tell when I get a phone call from some solicitor because they'll call me Stuart and I'll know it's somebody that doesn't know me. Like that one, that one that's ringing Speaking right now. Speaking of which, yeah. that's exactly right. We're we are getting calls left and right because I'm sure your listeners are aware that there's a big election coming up. So we're getting phone calls all the time for people trying to tell us how to vote. Oh yeah, we've we've got a we've got a small election here, but not a big one. But you guys are in. Uh, well, you're either in a lot of trouble or a lot of trouble. I'm not sure which one. But it's yeah. uh, not not looking great I, over there, is it? <laughs> I do have to agree, but I'm hoping uh, in December I'll be able to tell you, Karen, that uh, it's uh, it's a much brighter future. Oh, I hope <laughs> so too. See. I hope so too. Yes. Well, um, so your career, you know, you've you've been an MD and you've you've done work on, you know, Ebola and Zika and now COVID and SARS and you know and you're writing books and everything else. But what? About, how did you get to uh, become a doctor? Is it? Did you wake up one day when you were a little kid and say, oh, "I want to pl- I want to pull things out of people's bodies." <laughs> <laughs> That's not too far from what happened. Actually, <laughs> that, uh, I I have to say I I think um, as a child I was afflicted with a curiosity that did make me want to dismantle things and understand how things worked, and that percolated along until junior high school when I got a job as a uh, chauffeur for a doctor uh, in San Diego, California. Um, a wonderful physician. He was elderly. Uh, he, had, uh, he had moved to San Diego in the early thir- late 30s, I guess, but purchased a lot of land when they thought the Japanese were going to invade San Diego. And so he ended up uh, with a large estate and hired uh, students, uh, you know, junior high and high school students to take care of the place. So my friend and I got the job and uh, we would drive him to work and he would tell us about medicine. And uh, we had many conversations and I, I respected him and uh, it just seemed like the direction to go. Uh, in fact, he was the one that suggested I go to a college that had a three-year Bachelor of Arts program in Chicago. He went there. And that's where I applied, and that's where my college started. Wow, it's as simple as that. It's yeah. it is, isn't it? Yes, it is. Isn't it so though that 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 we there's often stories of this, not always, because sometimes it's an accumulation of you know all sorts of things throughout our life that build to one point. But isn't it often though that there's we just meet that one person who absolutely tips us in another another direction and just. It just throws us somewhere uh, we weren't yes. expecting to go. I couldn't agree with you more. I, uh, <laughs> you've brought up a subject that I just had in a conversation with my daughter's boyfriend, um, who is, um, they're getting quite serious about their relationship. And uh, he was talking about uh, the, the difficulty of choosing a path that is both secure and um, uh, provides passion. And my advice at the time, which I just had to ponder at the moment, but uh, is to keep your eyes open. I think the opportunities do show up. And uh, if we recognize them uh, and and are not uh, afraid to take those little paths uh, when the intersections occur, 
um, I think there's all kinds of adventures and opportunities out there. Mm. Yeah, I think so too. I think we're, we're, we lose a lot of our life, um, you know, designing a specific path and then finding that we're unfulfilled, but then we stay on that path, you know, because Ooh. we're too scared to take other turns. And it's a... oh, That's a really good point. I, 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 uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Mm. That's right. It's a shame, isn't it? Because I think there's a, a lot of people that that that's that do that you know and i i often think don't you have a yearning for something else or you know isn't there some kind of passion burning within you that you want to try something but uh. i do think it comes back to a curiosity i know it, it's funny we use the word path because to me it reminds me of a hike and if you see an interesting trail going around a mountain and you refuse to go over there just to take a quick peek to see where it heads you might miss one of the most beautiful landscapes or a lake or a tree that is uh, one of the most inspiring views that you might have had that day mm. uh, it's worth taking a look sometimes and, and it is like a path almost a, a, a series of choices mm. I think so too. I, I I remember going on a cruise ship once, and I'm not I am not a cruise ship fan at all. I hated it to be honest. Trapped on the ocean, you know, in a little room, and I I couldn't get away. I you know I and I was seasick. Ah, oh, never go on another cruise again. Oh. Um, and there's other people. I've got friends who say that it's the best holiday ever, but not for me. But I remember every time we docked, you know, at, a, at an island or, you know, that was in the Pacific Islands, every time we docked, everybody would get off and want to just swim on this beautiful beach. Not me. I got my backpack on and I hiked right around the island, you know, and I, I saw, I went into villages and, you know, like sat down with people and it was incredible. You know, I never wanted to go back to the boat. I was kind of like, no, I'll stay, I'll stay here. <laughs> yeah. I, that's where the meat of a trip is. That's the adventure is seeing the real, the real world. Yeah, that's right. I think I so too. And getting immersed in the culture, you know, when you're there. And uh, there's so yes. much more to that. I, when I think about, like, I've traveled a lot around the world and I, 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 yeah, I've seen all the touristy things, but the the stuff that really means has got the depth is is, you know, sitting sitting with families, you know, interacting with the community, that sort of stuff. Just, you know, you never forget that. It's funny how um, I think about people coming to any place, I suppose. But uh, we live in the uh, gold country here in in California. And I think about people that come and may come on a day that's a bad day and they leave with that whole impression of, of what the area is like. Mm -hmm. It's like a biopsy. Mm -hmm. And you miss the if you don't biopsy the right spot at the right time, you can miss the diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> and that's only a doctor could say that. <laughs> ah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's so true, isn't it? But now, so over your time as a doctor, like, so, you you know, you met this guy and he, you know, encouraged you to go to the uni, uni in Chicago and, you know, you came out a doctor and you did that, you, you, you were an MD, but what made you not sit there and just be an MD? What, what made you think, hmm, I could write a book about that. What, what sort of got you on that path to think outside of your role a little bit more? 
Well, I, a number of different things. I mentioned my mother, the artist, and, and she uh, used to encourage me to um, work with art. Um, my brothers and I used to pretend that that at night we would go to a different land and that's where we had our dreams. (laughs) (laughs) We fancied that during the day we were operating a robot that was our bodies and at night we went to the place where we actually lived and so we ended up drawing pictures of the creatures that were there in that different land and and I think those creatures became uh, the fun part of my artwork. Uh, I ended up drawing a lot of crazy characters and um, that seemed... Uh, you know, as I got involved more and more in college, of course, that went to the wayside, but it was constantly tickling me to keep me uh, interested. Mm. And uh, it actually came down to uh, the day that I applied to medical school, I, uh, uh, or the, uh, actually a few weeks after I had applied, I went to uh, Disney Studios in L.A., mm and considered um, a career either in animation or in medicine. And uh, I had a a very fun and interesting interview. And when I came home, I had my acceptance letter to UCLA School of Medicine. And so that made up my mind right there. Oh, wow. Well, it didn't stop you anyway, (laughs) because you're doing animations now, which which we'll Well, talk about later on. But, um, you know, so (laughs) it must have just been sitting there waiting to burst out anyway. But... It's uh, so I think that's yes, you think that's exactly right. right. Yeah, I think so. Precisely. Yes. I think when we've got this, um, you know, inner gift, inner talent, it doesn't matter what we do. It's going to sit there and wait for us anyway. Do you you know? And it's sometimes it comes out early. Sometimes it comes out late. But I think it never goes away. I do agree with that as well. And I think. I feel healthier for cultivating it. I, I, uh, I think it's important not to uh, suppress it. Uh, you, yes, we need uh, responsibility, if, especially if we have a family and commitments to take care of. But I think our, our performance and our ability to participate and contribute to our family is better if we're doing also something on the side that we're passionate uh, about and it allows us to be creative. I, I honestly believe creativity is one of the most important parts of uh, of our opportunities in life. Mm. Yep, I agree. I agree as well. And I think that, as you're saying, it it makes you a better person. You know, a better family member, a better community member, a better business person. You know, be, better employee. I, I really go by that. You know, with even with with my get off the bench workshops. You know, I encourage businesses yes. to. Um, you know, run workshops for their employees so that they can uh, unpack something that's important to them, even if it's not relevant to work. Because happy employees, you, you know, come to work mm-hmm. excited. You know, they, they perform <laughs> better, they, they're less sickies, yeah. you know, less turnover because they're doing something they love. I think what happens, and particularly with women, I, I notice this more with women, but I'm not saying it's definitely gender specific but a lot of women you know they'll have their babies and then they'll start to sort of put a lot of effort into their families raising their kids tending to the husband you know and and his career often comes first and her sort of her passions will often get put in a box and put up in the attic or you know somewhere out in the shed and you know she sort of feels often will feel like she doesn't deserve you know like oh that's just a hobby you know I've got I've got a family to run and all that sort of stuff and I think that's a real shame I think it's 
it takes away from that person. It's taking something important away from them, out of them. Yeah, it's a tragedy. Anytime, anytime something growing doesn't get fed and cultivated, I think that's right. We're seeing that right now with the COVID-19. Um, of course, many people are losing their jobs mm. and returning home to provide education to the kids while the schools are closed closed and uh, taking care of the home. Mm. And we're, uh, I just noted today, uh, uh, the uh, uh, women, 15% more often than men, are the ones losing those jobs and returning to the home. So mm. um, this particular crisis is uh, magnifying that gender uh, disparity. Mm. Yeah, I've been reading that. It's um, and not just in not just in that. There's just so many other ways, and women are losing their confidence to go back. And it's just it's a it's a it is a tragedy. But oh, I hope we hope we get through the other side. And you know, I just hope we get through this, and the world changes. I mean, I might be an optimist or a you know an idealist, <laughs> but you know, I'd like to see that. I'd like to think that this pandemic is an opportunity to say we weren't doing so well before. You know, like absolutely. Absolutely. There's, we, we need, uh, we need a sense of humility, especially mm -hmm. here in the United States, where I think many people were surprised uh, to see the healthcare system uh, be so fragmented. Um, but it's something that public health uh, specialists and experts have been saying for a long time, uh, we mm -hmm. have such a profit oriented healthcare system in this country. Uh, without a national health insurance or health uh, program, as you have in Australia. Yeah. Uh, and as a result, uh, uh, it required uh, a sudden uh, coordination of private interests, government interests, and public health specialists uh, to coordinate a response, which took time and, and caused uh, a slower and sluggish response. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, your your um healthcare system is terrible, and it, it you know, it it really is. And you know, people saying yeah. like I have to have a job because you know like like a third of my wage has to pay for healthcare and stuff like that, and it's it's incredible. Like there there are so many people who simply can't afford healthcare, and it's what happens to these people. I think we're yeah no, it's absolutely right. I, I we have never. Uh, our system has evolved uh, just as evolution has, and uh, as in evolution, many of the branches end up becoming extinct <laughs> because mm. they don't work. Mm. And I think uh, we're finding that some of the uh, to evolve a healthcare system in a profit-based system uh, does not make health the goal of the system. And mm. as soon as you lose health as your primary uh, objective, um, you no longer are working efficiently or in a caring and compassionate way. Uh, it's like a justice system that doesn't seek justice. <laughs> uh, it's uh, and, and, and again, I, I think to our credit, I think we do learn from our mistakes. I'm hoping uh, I'm like you. I, I'm afflicted with this disease called optimism. <laughs> uh, I think uh, that we will recognize that, and maybe as you said, um, this is an opportunity. A crisis so often becomes an opportunity mm. uh, for us to say, oh, this needs to be repaired. And so we'll mm. see. Yeah. Well, we'll see and we hope. All we can do is hope. But So your yes. your books are, are kids' books and you, you illustrated a, a couple and you've written a couple. <laughs> or, 
um, I'll just read that. So how to have a habit, what's in a doctor's bag, the germ patrol <laughs> and stroll. So um, why kids' books? You know, like you've got a wealth of information there. You know, you could write any book, you know, an adult's book or whatever. But why Why have you focused on – well, you, well, I'm sure you could. I'm being an optimist, you know. Um, <laughs> why, why did you focus on right. the, on the um, kids? Do you think, do you think that um, – uh, kids are, are lacking understanding of what's going to happen to them or are they are they coming in fearful or are you noticing a, a did you notice a trend that you felt kids need to learn this stuff to be honest with you don't tell anybody but uh, it's quite the opposite <laughs> oh. i i find i find kids don't have the they're willing to laugh and and they don't have the social uh, obstacles that that uh, adults have to a sense of humor that's sometimes silly and can laugh at itself. Mm. Um, I was in a grocery store the other day and there was maybe a four or five year old child um, that just lied down on the floor right in the aisle at the <laughs> cash register. <laughs> and I, I thought it was, a, the mother was horrified, but the child was just having a great time and uh, wasn't wasn't uh, self-conscious about about it at all and i thought it was delightful to see how happy the child was so i i think um in answer to your question it's the child's sense of humor it's getting back to laughing at stuff that uh, that uh, is really pretty basic and uh, and and the other side of that coin is <clears throat> is scientifically honest. All of the books that we've worked on, and, and they would not have been possible without the support of my wife and my friend that uh, has helped me with some of these projects. Um, but uh, it's uh, the goal of of uh, being uh, taking something like well, you mentioned Germ Patrol in that particular book. We talk about the immune system being like the uh, law enforcement and the germs being the uh, criminals and therefore the vaccine is the wanted poster yeah. telling the law enforcement what the bad guys look like <laughs> and in fact that's an honest in, uh, metaphor for how vaccines work and so the point is to try to be scientifically honest about the notions we're trying to pass on but to do it in a way that's playful and can be laughed at mm. Oh, that's fantastic. And um, what's in a doctor's bag? Um, tell us about that. Like, is that like a, a women's, I shouldn't say it, but it, like a lot of women, there's a joke, you know, about what's in my handbag, you know, that kind of stuff. Ah. They, and they tip it up and it's my godfather. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> well, well, think about that. That's a perfect example, Karen. Uh, you could no, you could learn an awful lot about a person by looking in their handbag, couldn't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so similarly, similarly, uh, you could understand a lot more about a doctor if you could understand what these crazy instruments do that he uh, hauls out and pokes in your ear and holds against your chest and uh, sticks in your, under your, your tongue. So uh, <clears throat> the, the idea was to help children understand what those instruments do and to do it in a way that not only takes away some of the fear of those foreign objects, but also might inspire some curiosity for them to wield those objects someday by becoming a doctor themselves, mm. male mm. and female, all kids. Mm. So that's part of the, There's a number of different uh, uh, 
uh, motives in, in trying to uh, paint the picture. And that's what the what's in a doctor's bag is about. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. I've got a friend who's um, who's a, an oncologist and, and she was telling me that when she was three, she got the, you know, that um, board game operation, you know. Oh, yes. And she, yeah. yeah, and she said, you know, <laughs> her parents bought it for her because it was all, you know, noisy and sh- and, and colourful and everything else. And she's like, I don't <laughs> care about the colours and the noise. I just want to know the heart goes here and this goes here and this goes here. <laughs> and she said she got so annoyed, you know, when people put it in the wrong spot. And, and you know, and then she went on to become, you know, a, an oncologist because... Um, an know, oncologist, wow. Yeah, so it was but just... I, I noticed she didn't become a surgeon. She didn't want her patients to suddenly buzz when she hit the sides of the <laughs> <laughs> Either would I. Wounds, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, that, that, that game used to scare the wits out of me. Yes. Did it? <laughs> yeah, yes, I did, yeah. Wow. I, I enjoyed it, actually. But, I, uh, no, it was, uh, yes, those kinds of games, I think, uh, uh, are very, of course, today, in today's world, it's video games. And I think mm. that's a good example of of an unharvested uh, field that we're, we're using video games for such awful goals, uh, yeah. trying to teach uh, things in those games that are uh, not conducive to uh, a calm and peaceful world. Um, but we could do a much better job, I think, of conveying information, uh, health information in those kinds of video games. Mm, I think so too. There's a, there, there are some out there that are virtual virtual operations, you know, virtual... Um, and I think oh, that's right. Yes. And I think that um, yeah, and you're right. They're, they're so va- they're so valuable, but the kids are just buddy killing each other and uh, you know cutting each other's heads off and dragging each other <laughs> out of cars and stomping on each other. It's like yeah, you know, it's kind. Of, I like saying, are you getting any value <laughs> out of that? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not right. sure you are. Right. <laughs> oh, it's such a shame because you can literally visualize anything with today's technology. And why not visualize something that's productive and constructive? Yeah. Yep. I oh, I agree. I, I don't know how you convince the teenagers though. I, I try to convince teenagers to do community work, and they're like, "Well, for you know." <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's true that you have to make it fun. I I, I have to point a finger at public health and the uh, the engineers and game producers in that um, some of the uh, the games that are most instructive are a bit boring. They're, they're folks wearing yeah. white coats and pointing at graphs and, uh, and the animation is not uh, truly entertaining. Mm. But I think, that, uh, I think that's simply because the, the talent and the skill and the, uh, the payment is going towards these other games. So I'm mm. hoping that the evolution will lead to a, a better, as, as uh, has happened in other media, I think we'll eventually get to the point where we're using it for the right purpose. Oh, there's your optimism again. Oh, yes. Yep. There it is. Yep. <laughs> well, fingers crossed you're right. <laughs> and what about your, your um, stroll? We'll finish talking about stroll and then we'll move on to some other stuff. What, what's that one about? Okay. That's your latest well, one? Well, that, that was actually um, probably the best glimpse inside me because those just accumulated over years and years and that book was mostly uh, a gift to my children uh, to uh, let them know some of the lessons that I've stumbled over in my career and some of the things that make me laugh. Mm. 
Yeah. And uh, I wasn't held quite so much to the health literacy uh, passion that the other books were dedicated to, although there is some health literacy buried in those poems. Yeah. But I gave myself much more freedom in that book. <clears throat> oh, Which one did you like? Did you see the, Did you see any of those tales? I, I've, yet, I've, no, I haven't said. No, I haven't read them. I've only I've read the overview yeah. of each of them, but no, I haven't. Um, but I, I like. You send me, send me an address, and I'm going to send you a copy of that one. All right, fantastic. And then I'm going to say something about it on the on the next podcast after I receive it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I'd love that. Okay. Thank you. Now you, because I, I, you know, I love why I've got you on here is you've um, gotten off the bench, of course. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on here. I'd just leave you in sunny California all by yourself. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, you, you, you not only you know you, you were a doctor. That's great. But you wrote the book, so there. You know, you've already sort of branched out there. But then, when you um, finished, but you know, you retired from being a doctor, and you didn't put yourself on the bench there you got off you stayed off the bench and you went and worked on Ebola so you know why would you do that like well that occurred um I had been the health officer which in California we have 58 counties and each county has a health officer that oversees the public health system I had been the local health officer for the county adjacent to Yosemite National Park here in California for 12 years. Mm -hmm. And for seven of those years, I had co-chaired the Infectious Disease Committee for the state uh, health officers. And as a result, just out of osmosis mostly, I became uh, fairly up to speed on many, excuse me, many infectious diseases. Yeah. So when it came time to retire, I realized that I was only destined to uh, have my brain oxidize after that. <laughs> and I decided it was probably the best time for me to use that information uh, as best I could to make a contribution somewhere. I'd been very fortunate, as we've talked about in my life, to have had doors open and opportunities. And so it was an opportunity to give back and it uh, I have to say it occurred in uh, this was February of 2015 and the Ebola outbreak in West Africa had been going on at that point for about a year mm -hmm. so we had a much greater understanding about how to deal with it uh, I worked with um, the partners in health uh, the program that does a lot of work around the world and they had developed protocols that were much safer than it would have been if I had participated six months earlier. Um, so I have to say, when I finally jumped in, um, the, the real courageous uh, uh, providers had come before me and seen some of the worst devastation. Mm -hmm. We still encountered some awful situations, <clears throat> but um, I think the system was pretty well uh, developed and, and we had resources and personal protective equipment um, that kept us safe. Mm. Uh, I will say <clears throat> it was interesting what you said earlier about wanting to see the the community that you were working with. Mm. If, at that point, as you I'm sure can imagine, we weren't allowed to um, really spend time with the uh, local people, which I would have loved to have done, but uh, we were pretty much dedicated simply going back and forth from uh, where we stayed and the clinic. Mm. Uh, working in my particular job was in a maternity clinic in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Mm. 
<clears throat> and uh, worked there for two months and uh, was gratified to be able to do that. Mm. Well, Ebola is um, worse than COVID, isn't it? It was. I, I think I read. Now, I'm off the top of my head, but you can correct me. What, what, one in two die from it if they if they contract it. Is it something like that? Yes, it, as in many outbreaks, um, early on, the case fatality rate is much higher because people are not used to um, mm. using the protocols. And so at the beginning of the outbreak, it was more like 80% um, of uh, the cases would die. Wow. Um, towards the end of the outbreak, it was closer to 30%. Mm. And they're still not allowed to travel. That was that was when I started One Planet Classrooms, and that was with I started that with a guy in um, Guinea, you know, which is right next to Sierra Leone, and he still can't travel. You know, he still tries to apply for uh, visas, you know, to do scholarships in other parts of the world, and and they won't let him out, you know, because because of Ebola. Well, that's what they keep saying. So whether that's a lovely excuse for the government to um you know, pin, yeah. <laughs> pin people down, who knows, but... You, know. you read my mind. I'm afraid <laughs> uh, that there's not much science uh, to explain why um, that would be the case. Um, there, uh, I think that gets to the point of many of those children's books and the work that I've seen you do as well is is to try to promote health literacy. We, in this, uh, in our schools in the United States, we uh, always talk about reading, writing, and arithmetic, mm. and we leave health literacy um, as something that you're supposed to clean up on your free time mm. and I'm afraid uh, that that puts us in a position to uh, uh, for an uphill battle when we come across something like the current COVID-19 outbreak yeah. um, I think we should be teaching what lungs sound like what's the difference between grief and depression uh, when should you take a twisted ankle to the emergency room. I think that kind of information should be common information that we can teach in high school, even in elementary school, mm. uh, to help people manage their own needs. I agree. I did my, I do my first aid um, certificate and my CPR, you know, regularly. And I, I did it just recently. And I said to my partner, what, why don't they teach this to kids? You know, like this, why aren't we taught this in school? You know, so that every every single person, it's like a second nature because I can never remember anything and things change, you know, how you treat a snake bite changes every single time, but it's kind of like <laughs> well, pretty much, you know, but yes. it's like yes, I don't remember. Yes. And so when three years passes and then I sit down to do it again, I'm like, oh, I think I remember that. and I And I get most of it right, but some I don't get right. And I could actually do damage you know you know because I, I've put heat on something I should have put ice on or whatever and and I think that <laughs> if I had known all this from a kid you know and it had been a common common learning you know that that you just learnt all this stuff I think we'd be much more apt at um tending to health but not only just um accidents I think that looking after ourselves health-wise because we're we're bombarded with um, junk, and I don't just mean junk food, you know, just yeah, junky lifestyle. Yes. And, you know, we've, we've, if we're not learned, if we're not taught early, how do we get around that? You know, we're just, we, we sink into it. Well, I think I couldn't agree with you more. That it's funny that junk food idea um, is a perfect parallel with junk information. Mm. If you consume junk information, uh, your your uh, memory banks, your knowledge base will be junk. Mm. And it's really very much like 
eating poorly. Your, your body uh, can't be healthy with the wrong nutrients, and your brain can't be healthy with the wrong information. Mm. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, and you're right. It sort of is just completely forgotten through our education and just left to our own devices. And this is why we're probably full of junk because, you know, in both ways, you know, knowledge and because, right. because honestly, all junk is convenient. And, you know, if we're just left to our own devices and we don't have some basis in it, well, we're going to go for convenience. Yes. yes. Sir William Osler, the, the father of clinical medicine who... Uh, was raised in Canada and came to the United States, um, used to say much more eloquently than I can uh, paraphrase, but he used to say that uh, we can't blame the charlatans for gaining the public's confidence when we fail to seek the public's confidence on our own right as yeah. physicians. Yeah. And so it's one thing to speak fact and to use science in medicine, but it's another to convey that and to share that in a way that it can be useful. Mm. And I think it's it's you, you tend to use jargon too. Like I, I remember going to a, a heart specialist, and he was saying, you know, we we need you to do an ECP, a PPE, blah 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 blah, blah you know, and all this sort of stuff. And I said, <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying. And he said, Well, you, you're going to have to go through a, a something test, and you know, rah rah rah. And it was all like jargon. And I said, and he had an yes. accent. And I said, but I can't understand what you're saying. And I think he, I think the um the woman who was there. The I can't think yeah. what her name was. Anyway, she was not her name, but what her title was. She was saying he's a very good doctor, and I th- I'm I'm very sure that she was thinking I was being racist. You know, like when I'm saying I can't oh, understand I yeah. you, and I'm like, no, I don't sure. understand what you're saying. Like I don't. If that understand. happens, if that happens again, Karen, throw it back at them. Say, but but what about my sniffle whiffer? Shall, <laughs> shall I get my Giggle waffle? I, I'm not sure if I should put my giggle waffle with the sniffle whiffer. <laughs> <laughs> See what they do with that one. And as soon as he looks at you puzzled, say, well, that's how I felt. <laughs> that's a that's a good one. I, I was too grumpy. I was too grumpy to think about <laughs> sniffle whiffles and mopple gobbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, no, I agree with you. That I think mm-hmm. I think this is in the health that's system it. is um that you know, when, when doctors or specialists are talking in jargon, you you become fearful, do you know? And I think that when you're fearful, right. uh, because I don't know what you're talking about, my, my fear level rises, my anxiety rises. And when you're like that, you can't take in anything anyway. Like you, you that doesn't matter what they say, whether you, once you've reached that point, it's kind of like, now I, I don't know anything you're talking about and I'm just getting upset. And I think they yes. need to be better. And same with vets need to be better at um, learning how to communicate with people on a um, in layman's terms, you know, so that people don't get so stressed. Absolutely. That does that gets back to the uh, problem in a profit-oriented healthcare system where time is a uh, priority and the caregiver ends up uh, having a, a requirement of seeing a certain number of patients and they therefore can only spend so much time and is um, develops an allergy to educating their patients. Mm. <laughs> it's a shame, they, isn't they it? They no longer can. De- yes, it is. It's a, it's a lost opportunity. Mm. Um, but uh, we'll, again, something that we can consider uh, how to address. Yeah. I think there are ways we can address it. 
Mm, I do too. And it's fun. People have a natural, as you said, it's something people will um, be curious about. They want to learn of this sort of information. Most people, they look at a funny fingernail or a funny rash, and um, they really do want to know what's going on. Mm. <laughs> well, and the trouble is uh, we've we've become, because the, the health, system is, health system is terrible and yours is worse than ours, like we, we at least get some rebates back, you know, and that sort of stuff, and uh, and, and it's quite cheap, but, well, well, cheaper than yours anyway. But it's, um, but do we want to go and sit in a doctor's surgery and pay money and have them speak down to us? No, we don't, because we just get on the internet and look up Dr. Google, and this is a problem, <laughs> you know, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it is. That's right. And then how do you know if something is credible? Uh, I, I, we, when we talk to kids about that, we ask them to use websites that have edu as the uh, suffix, the, mm. as the address, so that you know at least it's a university that has some responsibility for giving information that's accurate and um, refereed, reviewed by, um, by mm. people that should know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's a very difficult thing. Yeah. Uh, is knowing what's reliable. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> um, you know, our 14-year-old our was a girl was coming home saying, I think I've got this disease and I think I've got that disease and, and me yeah. and my friend have, have both got that this disease. And we kept saying, you haven't got that disease. Where, where are you getting this from? <laughs> well, I, we Googled it and, well, you haven't yeah. got that disease. Yes. And then I said, you, you probably got rigor mortis. <laughs> Anyway, she um she went <laughs> she went into school and said to the doctor, I, I said to the teacher, I think I've got rigor mortis. Mortis. <laughs> doctor said, where, where did you get that from? And she said, Karen told me I had rigor mortis. <laughs> and she came home very grumpy with me. <laughs> I see. Well done. That's just right. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, stop saying yeah. it. <laughs> yes. I, I, these days, I sometimes wake up with that feeling. That yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, so do I. I think, I think 50. Once you hit 50, it starts to kick in, doesn't 50, it? Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, definitely. But you, um, you, I talk about a sucker because then you went back and did uh, work on the Zika virus as well. So you, 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 you can't get yourself out of these infectious diseases, can you? <laughs> well, that's right. I, I have the good fortune of having uh, left behind a number of good friends and colleagues in the California Department of Public Health and uh, as health officers. And so when a new challenge comes up, uh, every now and then I'll get a phone call and uh, it's too tempting for me not to pitch in. So yes, that's how Zika came up. There was an opportunity to work with colleagues and uh, and it was uh, very uh, rewarding it was good to feel and again it, it's very much like Sherlock Holmes when you have a new organism at least an organism that's not well studied in a new environment uh, and to uh, to have something as unusual as a mosquito-borne organism that causes congenital disease like Zika mm -hmm. uh, it, it was uh, an opportunity to be on the on the research end of something that was uh, uh, new. And so that was a, a reward in that sense. Again, an opportunity. Mm. And then you've, um, 
Yeah, and all from different, like you say, you know, starting from different things like mosquitoes, and you, you know, where does it start from, and you know, how does it, how does it? Um, I'm not, I don't know the right words, but cultivate in your body, you know, and what, what are the, what are the outcomes, and uh, yeah. it, it, it is. I find it intriguing, so I can imagine someone in your situation would sure. would love it. And so you've still, and you've also yeah. worked on SARS, and now on COVID. That's right. Yes, my current. Current work, in fact, just today, um, we uh, had a webinar in which uh, every two weeks I uh, speak to the health officers in California um, about um, the science topic of their choice related to COVID because uh, they're so uh, overwhelmed uh, in uh, working with their communities and their counties to, um, to address the problem. Um, that keeping up with the latest research, at my last count, there was over 7,000 articles, scientific articles written uh, oh. on COVID-19 uh, since uh, the outbreak started. And many of those are preprint, that is, they're released by journals before they're reviewed to uh, determine their accuracy and, and to confirm that uh, the proper uh, analysis of the data was conducted. Mm. And so... Um, yeah, I get to spend some time doing that and interpreting it for um, these, my colleagues. And that's, um, that also, today's was particularly interesting because the topic was mental health. How does COVID-19 affect mental health? And, uh, and that subject matter, uh, again, <laughs> grew much uh, more quickly than I would have expected. Not only how does COVID-19 affect mental health, but how do mental health patients deal with COVID-19? And then how does COVID-19 affect the public's mental health? Uh, and then also, how does it affect the mental health of caregivers that are encountering mm -hmm. so many deaths uh, with so few resources? And so there were many directions to go in trying to understand the mental health implications of the disease. Mm. It's massive, isn't it? It really is. Yes, it is. Yes. I don't know what you've got in America, but you know, here we've got that. Um, you know, well, non-essential weddings had to be cancelled. You know, unless unless you need to get married because of you know an illness or something like that. But um, uh, you know, it was a only ten people at a, a wedding and only five people at a funeral and stuff like that and then the, that the um, person who's sick isn't allowed any visitors you know which fair enough you know because of the contagious stuff but it's um it's it's the mental health also yes. that's associated with all this grief do you, you know for for example those who are dying and you can't say goodbye properly or you can't be with them when they're passing you know and but then there's also the um the the anticipation of getting married like these are significant mile you know milestones or significant events in your life and you know that you know that that um you plan for something and it doesn't happen do you, you know or it, that's 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 got grief attached to it as well so all these issues are coming up yes it does i, I think it is important um the putting in the context of grief i find um uh i often will later find that it's a, uh, the amount of uh, disappointment that was uh, lost and, and uh, suffered as a result of that disappointment um, is, uh, is often greater than, 
than is worthwhile uh, when you look back on it. I mean, not not to say that the deaths and the tragedies you describe are are uh, small things, but I think there are opportunities for compassionate care by a nurse mm -hmm. that is with the family member, or maybe bringing someone to a window where they can see their family. Yeah. Uh, um, those special moments sometimes can make all the difference in the world and, and become something very special. Looking back at a um, at a wedding that had just 10 people, but uh, perhaps a celebration five years later in which you can talk about that time uh, five years earlier. Mm, but it's... Um... But you know, it's so both ways, and 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 all this some um, isolation and everything. The the mental health, yes, our mental yep. health systems are breaking down. They're just not, they're not coping at all with the influx. Yes, and it's it's happening here as well. Um, I I'm not sure in Australia, but um, it's funny in in Western medicine um, how we treat health. <laughs> we call it physical health, and then there's something called mental health, as mm. if we are actually somehow disconnected at the neck. Mm. Um, this idea that, uh, and and it's really not the case. If you consider something like pain that has obvious, very physical sources, and yet can be interpreted and influenced so much by our mental health and by how we approach that pain, mm. uh, it, we're really... Uh, uh, I think Richard Dawkins calls it the discontinuous mind, the idea that we're we're driven to uh, categorize these things. And in fact, it's a much more blended uh, world and we are much more blended organisms than we give ourselves credit for. Mm. And that's evident in Eastern medicine, isn't it? You know, that yes, it's it is. a lot yes. more holistic and yeah, encompasses everything. I think mm. that's I think that's right. Yes, and it's, it is helpful, of course, so we can discuss it. So we can discuss it that to break it into categories, like calling you know Homo sapiens and Homo ergaster, were clearly two different species. But there was no day when a Homo ergaster had a child that was a Homo sapiens. <laughs> it was it was. What's a Homo ergaster? Uh, oh, that's a, that was the hominid, the human that came before Homo sapiens that we think, at least in the latest version of uh, evolution to humans. Oh, well, I need to go back and do some um, history history reading, don't oh, I? Wait 10 more years, there'll be another uh, intervening <laughs> <laughs> Homo something else that we'll identify. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean. It's, it's these idea of categorizing our different... Uh, uh, ancestors and in fact um, we're all one even if we go back to single-celled organisms yep we are and, and it, wouldn't it be nice if if everybody just knew that that everything's connected we're all the same energy do you know we're all just one wouldn't that just be beautiful yes oh i think i yes absolutely but i, I think we won't absolutely. because i think that we um we're so brainwashed and sold on you know me 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 you know and, and if i if i serve my selfish needs you know i'm going to be better off and i think we don't we've we've lost that i don't know about you there and I, I, I would imagine you're the same we've lost our sense of community connection you know and uh like we used to have local football teams and you know they're they're just everybody mm. went and everybody was part of the community and everybody gave and everyone volunteered you know and all that sort of stuff we, we just hardly do that anymore and 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to get um, groups to do community projects and it's, it's, God, I've got to look for tiny little niches here and there, you know, because little pockets <laughs> of goodness, because yeah. most people, it's, it's kind of like, eh, nah, <laughs> I'd rather look after myself, you know, <laughs> it's sad. I hear, I hear what you're saying. It is, and yet um, we have more and more ways to communicate about community. Yeah. I mean, we, we now share music, we share science, we share uh, around the world. Mm. We're now able to, uh, you know, collaborate much more um, thoroughly. And it is a shame that we're not um, using that, at least in our lifetimes. I do think some of what you're describing, Karen, is a bit of an illusion because we measure it in our lifespan. And the pendulum swings, I think, much slower than that. Yeah. I think if we look at uh, if we look at the social unit uh, today compared to, let's say, two thousand years ago, um, we can see that um, we do have more compassion. We do realize uh, that slavery is wrong mm. uh, in virtually all parts of the world, even though there are, of course, criminals still engaging. Yeah. But at least they have to do it under the radar. Mm. And uh, and I have I have a hunch that if we can, uh, oh golly, there goes my optimism. <laughs> careful, catch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, careful. <laughs> but I, I do think I think in the long run I think uh, that we will be able to. We are getting uh, a larger human family, mm. um, but it's it's just something that's almost invisible in an eighty-year lifespan. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, fingers crossed, you and I will we'll be in the optimism jar together. When, we, when we're both up in heaven, we'll Good. be like, yes, come on, we'll be cheering. <laughs> That's the jar I want to be in. Wouldn't, if you had a choice, isn't that the jar you want to go to? That's right. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I want to go to the jar with the sour pusses. Put me with the sour pusses. No, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. Right? and so and so now uh you know i want to talk about your um your studio so we talked earlier before you know you're speaking of optimism and hanging on to those things that mean a lot to you you know you talked before about um you know art and animation so you've been illustrating the books and that kind of stuff but you really do love your animation and now you're sort of really focusing on your um, animation studio. So tell, tell us about that and what you, what you want the outcome to be and what you want to produce. Well, that's nice. I, uh, I was intrigued. Um, I mean, I wonder if this isn't true for most artists, but to me, watching something that you've written in two dimensions come alive mm. and actually um, get, get life. I mean, we're, we're talking <laughs> about uh, really a, a, a animation. The, the actual word means to give life to something, mm. uh, to move, movement. And uh, to me, that was always a goal. Even in high school, I used to go in the, um, in the back of the grocery store and uh, take single frame animation of uh, the junk <laughs> yeah <laughs> to have the junk move around and uh, and that was fun that was a little project and then I did a little bit in the college um, so I think it is something I've just been too curious to avoid and then lo and behold I never would have guessed this but 
the the world of animation technology has literally made it possible to share anything you can imagine mm. if you can picture in your mind the most bizarre dream that you've ever had we now have the capability of sharing that with somebody else giving mm. them an image of what it was that you saw yeah. and uh, to me that's that's so exciting and so i uh, back in the 90s, uh, started working with some animation. At that point, what we did, and probably pe some people maybe know about, about this, but you make a model, a clay model, and then you run that model into a computer using a digitizing arm that points the spots in space where that model sits. And then the computer memorizing that shape uh, is given a skeleton within that model uh, to move and the model is animated. That's how the earliest Pixar mm. pictures were done. Well, um, then I became the health officer in, a, in the county, and all that went to the wayside for 12 years. So when I retired, coming back from Africa, I got dusted off my old computers, and lo and behold, the software was completely different. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. now um, done in a completely different way. So I've had to go back to school. Um, and learn a completely different system, but I'm slowly getting back to where I can create uh, some images and hopefully be able to put some of these into a, um, a three-dimensional animated clip that can share some of these ideas with, uh, with the public. Uh, mm. Kids, yes, it is still it has that childish sense of humor, but I'm trying to stick to those principles we discussed earlier where um, the, the science is still honest and we're conveying very real ideas. Mm. Wow. I so love that's it. That's my goal. <laughs> oh, I love it. I've just Thank started you. playing with um, stop motion and claymation and, you know, just started. Oh, I, I love it. I can't get enough. <laughs> Every time I'm supposed to be working, you know, I, I, I'm like, oh, I'll just get my camera out and I'll just get some little figures and, and little Hot Wheels cars and I'll yes. make a little movie. And I've been, I've been oh, making all these little movies. I love it. And it's... it's Oh, that's marvellous. Oh, I love it. And, you know, I've always wanted to do... Um, documentaries I love doing that sort of stuff but telling stories and I've always loved editing you know editing music editing podcasts editing e editing I love that stuff and so now I've found uh, claymation and stop motion I've just become like this kid in a bloody toy shop you know it's so uh, so we might have to um yeah we might have to share some stories I think I would I'd very be very much interested in that I'm sure you're familiar with Wallace and Gromit and the yep. Aardman yep. uh, animation. Uh, that's He's one of my heroes. Uh, if you haven't uh, had a chance to look at, is it Frank Park, I think? Um, the, uh, the artist that did a lot of that work. Um, some of his work uh, with animals uh, is, to me, um, uh, my, my, uh, the epitome of what I'd like to be able to achieve. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I've been claymation is a lot of fun. I've been watching a lot of those um, behind the scenes, you know, of those type of movies, and it's um, I've I've got a yes. new appreciation of it now. You know, I, oh. I, I, I I just thought they were like, oh, this is nice. They've done it all by computer, you know, and and some some of it is, but I, when I looked at though, there's oh. a, there's a movie, an Indian movie, and it took them eight years to make a, an eleven minute movie. And yes. Wow. Oh my. 
That's right. You'd really have to be a little bit kooky to <laughs> stick to it, to get it done. And I think that's right. It really helps <laughs> to, yeah. have that, uh, to, to have that driving you. That's right. I might have been like little um, 30 second, just, you know, a donkey chasing a seal and, you know, just, you, you know, things like that. I mean, they're not quite as exciting as an Indian oh, movie of I, a little girl. I like the sound of that. I could picture that. I want to see that when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's already happened. I'll send it over to you. Uh, and, um, I, my, I went to my sister's house, my little nephew, you know, he's three and he's been collecting all these little figurines, you know, and I said... Uh, he went out and he did something with a dog and I did a little quick stop motion video, oh, you know, yeah. and I came back and I said, those, those people are alive. Oh. And he said, no, they not real. And I said, they are. I said, they came alive. And I said, look, I watched them. They were playing with each other. And I showed him the movie and his face was just like, oh. Oh, they're alive. They're alive. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's magic. That's beautiful. Good for it, you. Oh, it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, my God, the look on his face was priceless. It was worth the five minutes that I sat yes. there quickly taking, you know, 100 photos. And it was um, absolutely Good. magnificent. So so I'm hooked. I can understand why you are, why, you know, it's... That it is, it is addictive, yes. Very addictive. It's kind of like, have you done that? Have you sent that invoice yet? Um, well, uh, I'll do it in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy making a donkey yeah. chase a seal. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, I keep saying to people, That's I'm so right. busy, but you know, I'm not admitting to the um, spending uh, a couple of hours a day making little movies. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah, it is. I can see why you love it so much. It's um, and I can't wait, can't wait to see what you produce. You know, going forward, if if you're not called to another pandemic situation, so fingers crossed. Oh, you know. good. <laughs> that's a good point. That can always happen. Uh, but in the meantime, well, that's again goes back to the point of enjoying it while you're doing it, because uh, that might be the whole payoff yeah, right there. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Well, this um, podcast is about, you know, get off the bench and inspiring people to do something that's important to them, like you've done many times. What advice would you give somebody who's like, um, say, in the similar situation to you, they've had this long-standing career and maybe they don't, maybe they feel siloed by it, you know, and feel like they can't do any side dreams or anything like that. What, what advice would you give to them? Well, I, I, I can only say what worked for me. And um, I think one piece of advice I would give is to, when, when the decisions seem chaotic, go to a place that is peaceful. Go to a place where you can hear yourself think, uh, for me, that might be a, a river up in the mountains or a lake or an overnight stay in a meadow someplace. Mm -hmm. And uh, allow yourself to ponder those options. You will have to balance a certain amount of uh, responsibility to those for whom you're responsible. But um, also um, stir some of that passion and your interest and your hopes and dreams. And don't be afraid to dream a little bit above what you think is within reach. Because mm. often I think, uh, I think our reach is longer than uh, our, uh, our perceptions can perceive. Mm. Yeah, I, think, I think so too. I think, you know, my favorite animal is a unicorn. And 
I love it because it sort of it, it sort of conjures up that um, you know believe in possibilities beyond your current perceived yes. reality. You know, and it's uh, I think that we don't. I think we Absolutely. like you're saying. You know, we we put a ceiling on ourselves and um, and mm-hmm. stop there, mm-hmm. which is a I like the idea That's of right. going to somewhere quiet too. But sorry, I, I interrupted you then. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I think that you, you said it. Uh, I think the reason that helps me is um, other people's advice. Gather that information. Listen to other people. But when you make that decision, I think you have to make it for yourself. My mm. mother um, always used to say uh, it's between you and she used the word God. But whatever you call that other important uh, purpose that you have, uh, that's who ultimately is accountable for your decision. Mm. So when yeah. you're ready to make that decision, go to a place where you can put that together for yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's another thing we lack in this world, isn't it? Is that we obviously we we mostly make decisions to please other people or to live up to other yes. people's expectations, and it's um, a, exactly. a shame. We lose ourselves in the process of that. But yeah, precisely. That's right. And what you said before, too, we start falling into gender roles or expectations of society that uh, may Mm. not be exactly what was meant for us. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Well, I'm a tomboy, so I didn't fall into the pretty pretty girl, pretty in pink little category. (laughs) I love me tomboy uh, farm clothes. (laughs) Wonderful. Good for you. Good for you. I love it. Mm Oh, well, this has been um, this has been wonderful chatting with you. It's um, Thank you know, it's put a, it's, yeah, it's been great, and it's just um, you know, it's a serious topic, but it's um, it's it's also sort of cashing in on all the other aspects to it, and the fun side of it, and the the feeling good part of it, and it's um, you know, I think sometimes we miss that in life. So this has been a real nice little reminder, you know, to to look for the fun and look for the uh, the humour, even if even if we're facing serious topics, and well, thank you so very much for joining us. This has been wonderful. It's been really interesting hearing about the the creative side of a doctor's journey. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Oh, guys, how was that? That's bloody brilliant. You know, and uh, one thing I forgot to ask Todd was where can people find you. So I let him hang up without uh, asking that. So his website is sts-studios.com and you can also find him on LinkedIn as s.toddstolp, S-T-O-L-P. You know, Todd reminds us that every single person's got this creative side, got a bunch of talents that, you know, just sitting in there waiting to be let out. And um, and I think as we were talking about, you know, these things, are, uh, things that come from our childhood, we always knew we could draw. We always loved to animate or, or write or tell stories. And, and as we get into adulthood you know we tend to lose a lot of these things and it's so nice um, when people sort of tap back into them in their adulthood and start to uh, flare up all these fires you know I guess we've always got this little um, 
like a glow, you know, a little flame that's just flickering, quietly flickering. It's like a little candle. But then, you know, all we could do is breathe some oxygen into it and, poof, you know, and we've got this where we uh, we launch our talents again and we start to do that thing again that we really love. So I really hope this has inspired you to think about, hmm, what is it that I do? You know, even if you've got a job that seems to be quite siloed is, you know, you know, what could I what could I do to uh, branch out from that, you know, to bring that, uh, I guess, that knowledge and the skills and the joy, you know, in some other format than what you're doing. So have a good think about that. But anyway, whatever you've got inside you is magic. So anyway, um, I'm going to leave it there. And thank you so much for joining me. And uh Again, I'm banging on. I love it. I love this stuff. I'm so damn passionate about it. Please go do your thing. Don't wait because waiting, it just might be too late. Please go do your thing. Give your gift to the world and man, make you happier and make other people happier. So that's it. And thank you so much for joining me. I love having you with me. And this podcast would be absolutely pointless if I didn't have wonderful people like you listening to it. So I'll uh, catch you next week. Thanks. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.